This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Do you find that you're always fighting against yourself? That what you want is not always what you end up doing? If you are, you just might be onto something. That's because there's you as your true self, and then there's everything else. A lot of this can stem from your earliest childhood experiences and influences. And those two sides of you are often out of alignment. Coming up, you'll hear from G.P. Walsh, spiritual teacher, founder of the Master Heart Institute, and creator of Inner Reconciliation, whose spiritual awakening 45 years ago motivated him to emerge from a dark place, become a spiritual teacher, and create a program that can help you uncover the purity of your true self. And he'll share his take on the future of the spiritual field. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. GP, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Julie. It's, uh, it's, it's marvelous. And it's so great to be in a real studio and not just uh, virtually online. It's such a great atmosphere. And I get to look right in your face when we talk. We're in person. Yeah. So, GP, I know you are a spiritual teacher and you've been so for a while. How did you get there? Did you wake up one day and say, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do this. <laughs> uh, no, this is not a career path. Um, you can you can do all the Myers Briggs you want. <laughs> this is not going to show up show up anywhere. Um, it, it's something that just happens because things happen in your life that are just so uh, astounding and transformational um, that you can't plan them. You, you become aware of something far greater than yourself, and you become really curious about it. And when that when that happens in your heart, there, there's no going back. You just have to do it. I mean, I can happy to tell you the whole story yeah, of how it happened. Yeah, bring us back to that moment. Um, I mean, it, it started early on uh, because uh, you know my childhood was such a mess. Uh, my mother was mentally ill, uh, completely uh, dysfunctional. Um, my father just kind of disappeared um, because. Uh, well, it, this, the, 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 the atmosphere, this gloomy cloud of mental illness just hung over the place the entire time. And, and it was just really difficult to deal with. Of course, I knew nothing about it. I'm a little kid, right? Um, but it was just a, a, affecting me constantly. I never felt safe. I could never relax. Um, and as I, as I got older, you know, I became a juvenile delinquent at 12 years old. I was out on the streets every night. I mean, it was, a, it was, it was very, very strange. Um, if it hadn't been for the fact that I, uh, I had a talent for music and I liked it, I'm, I'm sure I'd be dead or in jail now because, uh, for, because of that, some things inside of me became activated and I, instead of spending all my time getting into trouble, I spent all my time practicing, we doing bands and that sort of stuff. But you know, this was the sixties. This was rock and roll. This was not, I wasn't playing John Philip Sousa marches, right? <laughs> <Marching> <laughs> <band>. <laughs> right. This was rock and roll. Um, and everything that went with it. So at 15, I, I, I started getting heavily into drugs, which, which lasted for a while and it was fun for a while. Right. And, and then, it, then the crash began to take place. And uh, as I began, as, as I began to mature and I began to see what my life was like, I became darker and darker and more and more cynical to the point where at 19, my very best friend, my closest friend in the world said, uh, go away. I don't want to see you again. You're the most horrible person. I just, we just, nobody wants to be with you. And, uh, they were right. <laughs> he was he was totally right, and and I realized it. And then after high school, I just kind of bumbled around. I couldn't hold a job. I dropped out of. I was in college for a little bit, trying to study music. I couldn't retain anything. Um, 
and I got this gig playing uh, playing in this bar band in uh, in in the middle of Wisconsin. At that time, the drinking age in Wisconsin for beer was uh, eighteen, and so there were these beer bars all over the place, especially in college towns. And you know, you could eke out a meager living. So uh, I, everything I owned was in this uh, 63 Rambler, <laughs> uh, which broke down on the way. I had everything I owned, uh, uh, 100 bucks, and uh, halfway there, the car broke down. It cost me like $85 to have it towed off of the highway. And they were nice enough to let me sleep in it <laughs> and not just immediately junk it. And they felt sorry for me at the diner, so they were giving me some free stuff <laughs> while I waited for somebody to come down and get me. So there I am, uh, 19 years old, sleeping on the floor because I was the last of the guys to, you know, living, living the, you know, the rock star dream, right? You know, I, we'd, I'd play and, I'd, and get wasted. That was my life. And, I, and it was just increasingly painful. I mean, I knew I was going nowhere, right? I, I just instead, but there was no way out. So one night in particular, um, as, as always, sitting around a bunch of people getting stoned, this, um, this rather powerful hash, hash yeast. And uh, I suddenly, uh, in the midst of it, like I'd done pretty much every day for the last five, four or five years. Um, all of a sudden in the middle of this, I was just completely filled with this terror that was just so overwhelming. My, my body just froze. I couldn't move. I, I literally, my body wouldn't obey my instructions. I could move my eyes back and forth, and that was it. Um, my throat tightened up. I could barely breathe. My heart was pounding out of my chest, my head. I said, this is it. I'm dying. And I was happy about it. I said, ah, relief, finally. Right? I mean, it's just the most horrible thing, but I was welcoming it because, God, no more. Well, after that went on for a while, all of a sudden, completely without any warning, without any input from me, my body got up, walked out the door, and started walking. I had no control over it. I didn't know where I was going. It was out totally on autopilot, just walking down these streets. And, and about 30, 45 minutes later, not exactly sure how long it was, I found myself standing. It suddenly stopped, turned to the right, and I found myself standing on a bridge looking down into this most horrendously polluted river. I mean, it was smelly, it was dead. I mean, it, it had been one of the cleanest rivers in the entire country at, at one point, and now it was like pretty much dead just from the pollution. Um, and as I sat there staring at it, it, it you know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the, uh, uh, it was, the bridge wasn't so high that if I jumped off, it would have ended it. I just would have gotten wet, right? <laughs> it was only like, you know, eight, 10 feet on, over the water. Um, and as I sat there, I, I, just all hell broke loose inside me. And I was just venomous and angry and all this rage and all this uh, pain was just started erupting in me. And I was just lamenting on how horrible things went, how horrible everyone was. And look at all the horrible things we've, all the beautiful things that we've ruined. And look what I did to me. I took this thing and I ruined it. I mean, I was just so hard on myself. It, suddenly in the middle of all of that, just lamenting how I just destroyed everything and I didn't deserve to live, I hear this voice. It says, look closer. Now it's loud, right? It's so loud that it was like filling the space, echoing. And it was so powerful and had so much authority behind it that it stopped me in my tracks. And I looked down. And I said, what? I said, what? Look at what? It said, look closer. Look really close. So I did. I put just all of my energy and tension staring at this ugly brown water. And suddenly I found myself starting to shrink. I kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Everything around me started getting bigger. It was like Alice in Wonderland, right? Until I it was so small... I was actually suspended in space, 
looking around, looking at molecules. And the voice said to me, look at the water. So I sit in there, right? There's, there's the water. It was clear. I mean, the H2O, right? Two hydrogen and oxygen. It was really clear. And they were just beautiful. <laughs> and I said, now look at the pollution. And I looked at the pollution. There's just all this other stuff. And the voice said, are they touching? I said, uh, no, no, they're not. He said, have they bonded together in any way? And I said, no, no, they're, they're not. They're completely separated. And he said, so if there was a way we could actually separate those two at your normal level of consciousness, would you not have the same pure water that you had in the beginning? And I was just absolutely stunned. It's like, right, right. It, it had never been touched by the pollution. They were just mixed up in this place from which I was seeing it. And I was just stunned. It was like, Wow. And then the voice, this, then the hammer came down. The voice said, Greg, that's you. And suddenly it was just this light. I mean, my, it was like the top of my head just came open. Just all of this light started uh, just pulsing through me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's been 45 years. <laughs> and I still can't tell the story without breaking up. Mm. The next thing I knew, I'm back on the bridge. Uh, all of the effect of the drug is gone. My body had relaxed. My heart was back to normal. E everything was just, I was just absolutely beside myself. There was this, such a feeling of peace and, and, and openness. And then I felt something that I could not remember ever feeling in my life. I was, I felt loved. From that moment, over the next six months, every addiction, every attachment, everything just fell away, just disappeared. I found myself back in school. I was getting straight A's. I started composing. I started, I mean, just everything was transformed and just in a heartbeat. And at that moment on, from that moment on, it was like my feet were set. I mean, how, how do you explain? And I, you know, this is the 60s, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is before the self-help or personal development, the consciousness movement. This is before, you know, Wayne Dyer or Deepak Chopra. This is, I mean, of course, the miracles hadn't even been thought of yet, let alone written and published. And I was just overwhelmed with what had happened. Right? And so um, the, the quest began. And as I got into it, I remember there was two parts to it, right? There was first, there was just the pure, pristine, untouched water, which I began to refer to as the original innocence of every one of us. Every one of us is that. And then there was the other part, which is if you can find a way to separate the two, you'll have the same pristine water you always did. And so my life became about how to find the way to separate those two. And ultimately, uh, uh, concluded in, uh, in a reconciliation, which is the way I do it. So um, that's how it happened. And uh, so it, it's not the kind of thing you could put on a vision board and try to manifest. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it, in, you know, you, you get to a place where, where the, where the, you know, the egoic in, in tendencies and uh, you begin to realize how much more there is than what than we think is there is, and something just begins to open. You begin to realize that you really can't do it on your own. And you know, some people will call it God. Some people will call it Buddha nature. So you can call it whatever you like. I don't really care. Um, it, it's it's the truth of you. Right? What I saw that day is something that I'm so aware of in every individual now. I mean, I can't look at anybody without seeing that innocence. I can also see all the muck, the pollution. It's all there. Right, I can see all this, the habits, the patterns, the programmed responses, the self-sabotage, all the stuff that we do to ourselves. But it doesn't have the same power that it that it uh, that it did. I can see what it is, and I and I realize that it's just a matter of time before that is removed, and you realize who you are again. I mean, that's what they refer to as enlightenment or the awakening or any. That's what it is. It's, it's a rediscovery of the essential innocence that was, that's been there the entire time.
So, uh, I could go on about that this all, all day, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll yield now. <laughs> if you have some kind of uh, uh, question about it, you know, obviously it's, I, I mean, it's just every, every time. It, it, my life was saved that night. I mean, I, I'm sure I would have been dead otherwise. And that is an incredibly powerful story. <laughs> and and the fact that this was 45 years ago and it's still so present to you yes and uh, you know i can feel the emotion as you as you share this next we're going to talk about inner reconciliation and what it is how it can help people to separate the the purity the water that they are from the muck and the pollution <laughs> that they may think they've been overwhelmed by or that they yes. can't change from that we'll be back in a moment do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share i'd love to hear from you follow the show on twitter instagram and facebook at all possible show you can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Inner reconciliation. Mm. I really like that term. What does it mean to you and how, how do you go about getting to that purity uncovering everything to get to that purity again yeah that that's the question isn't it right i, I mean once once you see it and you know i've never said that to anybody or told that story to anybody who doesn't feel it themselves we all instinctively know there's something essentially good and pure in us we can feel it we can feel that essential innocence and at the same time we feel this enormous inner conflict this you know, we do the things we don't want to do. We say yes when we mean no, and no we mean yes. We feel like we're self-sabotaging. We feel blocked and stuck in our lives. And so there's this enormous disconnect between just our natural innocent innocent love of life and wanting to express and give and, and uh, contribute and all the things that seem to get in the, in, in the way of it. And at, at first on, the, on, on this journey... My idea was that somehow you had to get rid of all that stuff. And that pretty much is the, the current view of psychology and self-help and all of that, right? You're going to get rid of the negative emotions. You're going to get rid of the negative patterns, the, the programmed responses, the, the self-sabotage. You need to get rid of it. And, of course, in my first experience of it, seeing it as muck, well, of course, you want to get rid of the pollution, right? Um, so for many years, that's what I did. I tried all sorts of different things, everything from, you know, meditation to various kinds of psychological uh, techniques and, you know, gestalt. You know, at first it was just kind of analytical because that's all there was. And little by little it became more experiential. Um, even things like, uh, you know, just hypnotherapy and, you know, just pretty much every everything and nothing while there was transformation that would take place, think some things would shift. There was there wasn't that sense inside that that there was still something missing, right? There was an ingredient that was missing, and it was actually my the training I I went through in Zen Buddhism that opened my eyes to it. Um, and I'm going all the details about the middle way and all that that kind of stuff because it, it actually is a little bit different. But what it made me realize is that um, there is a everything in life serves a purpose. Everything is there for a reason. And I began to realize that all of those patterns that I had designated as the muck that had to be gotten rid of 
had a common source to them. They had a common or, 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 or originating place. And eventually I discovered that originating place was simply the nervous system trying to keep itself safe in an environment that was threatening. And suddenly the entire thing just became crystal clear to me. You know, and it's really easy to, uh, to understand. You're a child, right? You're, everything a child does is innocence, right? It's just pure expression. Right? They're just being themselves. Every word, every, every, every action, every gesture, everything they do is just 100% them. Right? No restrictions. They just, they just do it. That's why we love them so much. Right? I mean, you just, a child comes into a room and you just, ah, oh, you melt. Right? Um, then something happens. Right? There's the natural expression of who you are, that original innocence that gets expressed, but it runs into the, the, the something in the environment that says, that's not okay. The, the tribe, your parents, um, uh, the, you know, uh, religious teachers, right? Starts very early first with your parents. You know, that first time you reach something for something, your parents says no, or maybe they slap your wrist. You get, all of a sudden you get this feedback coming from the environment that something's wrong. Now you can't talk yet. <laughs> right? You can't reason this out. You can't go, oh, that's right. That's a very good decision on their part. That is going to hurt me. I shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. It's just like something inside just goes, what? And of course, when we're, when we're little, we are so totally powerless and so totally vulnerable that everything that happens that's, that is uh, untoward, anything the nervous system interprets as a threat becomes, it has a power about it, like it's life and death. Because in fact it is. If you're abandoned by your tribe, you're you're done. It's over. So the energy system of the body is interpreting it in the most severe way. And of course, because you can't challenge the authority of your of the parents, who's right and who's wrong? Well, they're right. You're wrong. And so the behavior that's perfectly natural, when it gets expressed in the environment and meets with diminishment or some kind of punishment or any kind of pain, sometimes severe, but even minor, it's interpreted as this behavior is dangerous. I can't do it. And so you, the real you, totally natural and innocent, suddenly becomes dangerous to yourself. And now you have to suppress and push to the side what in fact is a completely natural thing. Sometimes that thing that gets pushed to the side may be the best part of you. And, the, and then new false behaviors that aren't you get created in order to make sure that the right picture is presented to the environment so you survive. And all of a sudden it became so clear, this is the way it works. Of course it works that way. And it worked quite well because we're all adults. We're sitting here, we're having the conversation. We did survive. And it's all of a sudden I realized all of it, every single thing that you regard as a negative or a, or a self-sabotage or any of the million terms we have for not being able to realize your dreams, had at its root the energy system in a defensive posture trying to protect you. The moment that saw, the moment I saw that, all of a sudden the entire, the entire system became my friend. I no longer saw it as something to get rid of. I saw it as something to move closer to. And now every time, anytime anything came up that felt distressed or like, I would just turn all of my love and attention towards it. And I would, no resistance, little by little, all my agenda dropped away, my ego dropped away. I, I mean, all my knowledge just dropped away because it was useless. And I just turned all my attention. Like I was talking to a little kid that could barely speak, that was just so distressed and afraid. And I just say, what are you afraid of? What's the problem? And I suddenly, I became a presence to myself. And what I found was that things didn't have to get, be gotten rid of, that they needed to be reconciled with. The, the, the schism between them, the inner conflict that expresses itself in a conflict so big you can see it in the world all around you, that at its essence is this inner conflict between me and my own nature. And that nature is so sophisticated and so smart, it is created in a, just an infinite number of ways to make sure that you stay safe. Which means that even my best intentions at self-help and self-improvement and fixing have the energy of there's something wrong with you, you need to be fixed. 
which is of course exactly what the problem was in the first place. So it's, I do exactly the opposite. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to be fixed. What do you need? And start honoring it instead, your, your own feelings. And it really just starts there. It's as simple as I have this feeling and then you'll notice immediately how your mind wants to make it wrong, wants to do something about it, wants to fix it, wants to apply a process, right? And so, and so it on and on and on and on it goes. And that's the, what I call the self-help treadmill. It never ends because the essential message is still the same. There's something wrong with you. It needs to be fixed. <laughs> and as long as that message is there, it will always be in a defensive posture because it's trying to defend that innocence. It's trying to defend what you actually are. But the moment you acknowledge it, right, all of a sudden it's like oh, the, the, message that, the message that it didn't get, that it, had to, that it had to defend itself, begins to pierce, it begins to get through. And that message is you're safe, you're loved, you're acceptable as you are. And then everything just relaxes. Everything just begins to. And the thing about it is so stunning. At the moment your energy system realizes that the environment is no longer dangerous, that it's safe, it immediately begins to shed the behaviors. It doesn't wait a second. It's like instantaneous. If it doesn't need it, boom, it's gone. I mean, it's that fast, which just completely transformed the way I do everything. I just stopped. I used to think I knew what I was doing, right? I used to think I was really smart. I had all this stuff down. I could read people and, you know, I've been coaching people for decades, right? But as this began to dawn on me, I just became quieter and quieter and knew less and less and just kind of provided the space that the energy could communicate to me what it needed. And the more space I gave it, the quicker it healed. I, you know, I, I like to use the example of the, uh, in, after World War II, years after World War II, there were still Japanese soldiers scattered through the South Pacific Islands that were still fighting the war. They didn't know it was over. Matter of fact, I, I just re recently, the, the last one they know of was discovered in 1974, 29 years after the war was over, they were still there thinking the war was still going on. Your energy system is like that. You know, it gets in this posture that it's expecting to be diminished. It's expecting to be hurt, right? And it can't really tell that the environment has changed. It's like they didn't get the memo. It didn't get the memo, <laughs> right? It didn't get the text. <laughs> <laughs> true. I live in a world of memos and <laughs> text. That's true. It didn't get the text, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, when you start feeding it the information... When you start showing it that it actually, the war is over, the danger isn't there anymore, and it begins to see for itself, just the transformation is just incredible and incredibly fast. I mean, I've just watched, I've watched things disappear in an instant. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's stunning. It's really interesting because even for me, I mean, I was, I started on the spiritual journey um, several years ago, I'd say consciously several years mm -hmm. ago. And I remember reading, reading a lot of books where the message may not have been kill your ego, <laughs> but I, I took in that message as there is something that to, in my mind, there was the, the ego, which is sort of the fear, uncertainty, doubt, kind of the, mm -hmm. the, the survival, constant survival and surveillance system that our body has. Yes. And then on the other side of the spectrum is our heart, our higher self, our connection to the divine, something bigger than us. And, and so I took the message on that the ego had to be had to be killed. Ultimately, <laughs> if I were to That's put it right. very bluntly, it just had to be killed. Yes. And, and so I went about, um, you know, looking for different modalities that would tame it, that would, um, that would give me some form of control over it. And I'm very thankful for that. So that included meditation, it yep. included, um, psychic development, intuitive development, uh, for others, it could be energy healing, it could be Reiki, you know, all these different modalities, as you had mentioned, and it did get to a point where I thought, you know what, this is, 
this is counterproductive. <laughs> and if anything, the more attention I put on this one thing that's causing my life to be not as satisfying, the less I was actually connected with my my heart, my higher self. And yeah. so there, there, there had there was a point where then the two started blending together. And if anything, um, the view the view I then came up with was that the ego really is in support of of who we are like our purest form yes. and and uh, still trying to figure that part out of you know how how do you constantly have the ego support you especially when um when every single moment is is our body going back to our survival mode yeah it it's yeah it took me a while to sort all that out um uh, and and it's not really that hard the the there there's if you identify the ego as simply the reactive pattern to the system it wants to defend itself right and you feel it as that there's no problem with it it's perfectly natural the problem is is that when we develop the sense of a, of a mi of mind and ego they become concepts those concepts then get all sorts of stories and beliefs layered on top of them none of which are real right so the ego as just pure uh, self-defense is completely and totally innocent and natural. The ego as the sense of self-identification is where all of the problem is. That is completely made up by the mind and is not a reality. The defensive mechanism is a reality and totally innocent. When we project that which is not real, the sense of the ego, on that which is, the ego seems to have a power and operate independently of you. So now there seems to be this force that's fighting you. right? But that is completely manufactured by the mind and doesn't have any real reality to it. And uh, I, can get, uh, I can get into the... Because there's a lot of spiritual teachings about it, and the spirituality side of it makes a big mistake about it as well. Because they try to teach it, treat it like an entity that somehow now spirituality you transcend it, right? Right? Or in some kind of energy or um, hypnotherapy, you're going to just retrain it, right? <laughs> um, but the reality is right smack dab in the middle. There's a there's there's a middle way of, about it, and that reality is is that the energy of life living is real. The idea of that being a personal being that I call myself isn't. The consciousness that is identified with it is the reality of you, and that's not an ego. But when it identifies with this, that sense of def defense, the image, the imaginary sense of the ego gets created. So you don't have to destroy it because it was never real in the first place. It's simply a thought you have about yourself that you've believed to be true. I, I hope that it's clear because it's very subtle. It, you know, it's very subtle. We, we all have, I'm sure everybody uh, listening has, has seen a trans transition in the way they thought of themselves. You know, 10 years away, you had this image of yourself, well, that was really you. And then, you know, two years later, it isn't. And then two years later, it isn't again. So these ideas we have about ourselves, which are incredibly powerful because they, we make our decisions based on it. We plan our lives based on these images. And then you see how shifting and changing it is. You go, oh, maybe that's not me. Maybe even the one I think is me now isn't me. And suddenly you begin to take a deeper look at that which is finding that which is actually changeless, that isn't shifting with the wind, that isn't going from one sense of identity to the next. There is in every single one of us this place we can go that simply is witnessing all of this. And you notice that that doesn't change. It's not an ego. That's the self. And it's what's been there the entire time. And it's only when that sense of the self has identified with all of the actions and stuff that's taking place, all of which are natural, this idea of a ego gets born. And then once it gets born, we contain ourselves in it. We think this is who we are. And now I'm, uh, without me even knowing it, I've created a wall. I've created, I've put myself into a prison that is completely of my own making. So only, the only thing you need to do is to go, oh, there's simply a natural reaction to my system 
My system was programmed in a certain way so that I would react in a certain way. There's nothing absolute about it. Those programmed responses can be changed any time. None of them constitute who I am. Who I am is completely free and spotless and innocent and has no boundaries, has no limits, has no nothing other than just pure and total infinite freedom. That's the the uh, the ultimate that 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 is actually, I mean, it's <laughs> that is what's hearing my voice right now. You think it's there's this person hearing your voice, but it's not. That's the thought about yourself. It is that pure consciousness, that pure singular consciousness that, that is hearing everything. Just notice it. Look at it. <laughs> What's hearing my voice? Is this microphone hearing my voice? <laughs> is this, are all these wires hearing my voice? Is the, is the eardrum that's vibrating, is that hearing my voice? Or is all the neural patterns and all these little things, is that what's actually hearing me? There's all this activity going on, but are they actually the ones that are consciously hearing me? Mm. What's your actually pure consciousness. Hearing? Yes. Yeah. Your, your pure consciousness is hearing yes. this voice. And that is who you are. Everything else is just a momentary idea. It's a costume you put on for a minute. That is forever. And it's right now. It's so simple. <laughs> it's never been anywhere else. It's always been what's hearing. It's always been what's tasting. It's always been what's experienced the love and the enthusiasm and the passion and the energy. It's the, it's where the buck stops. It's the great I am. In that moment, I feel peace. Yes. Because it is, is forever in peace. And that I, I feel peace is simply, I am that peace. GP has been a spiritual teacher for so many years. Coming up, we're going to hear about what he sees is going to be in our future. Hey everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. I've been in this field for, I'd say several years and over that time I've already seen just how how much more people and if anything society and business are accepting all of these kind of spiritual principles or the way we look at things and if anything it's it seems to be becoming more and more integrated into life whether that's in a corporate setting whether that's in our relationships or how we deal with our children, future children, whatever that looks like. You've had the the privilege of really seeing how this field has evolved over time and, and very much integrated with your own journey as well and own evolution. What do you see as the future for this spiritual field, whatever, mm. whatever term we can call it. I don't know if there is a term yet, holistic wellness, but not even, I feel like that's too broad. What, what do you see as the future? What will, how will this keep evolving or, or will it really be the same? You know, it's a, I think we're going to look back uh, at this time, a hundred years uh, from now, and we're going to look upon ourselves now the way we look upon the Neanderthals. It's just the rate of development has accelerated uh, beyond what anybody could possibly have imagined. It's impossible to predict exactly what it's going to look like any more than the uh, 
the caterpillar could predict what life would be like as a butterfly. It has no concept of it, you know. I mean, if you ask the caterpillar to make a vision board, right, it's going to be a, a sea of green plants everywhere he could look, right, and no gaps between them, so he never has to risk falling, and, you know, no predators. He's just going to wander around all day chomping on the green. That, that's really our, our vision for the future, which is an extension of now. The idea that it's actually going to be transformed in one of the most beautiful creatures on the face of the earth, and it's not going to have to worry about falling because it can fly, is just completely outside of the realm. But if we look, we can see all of the telltale signs of it. Um, something is happening within us that is way bigger than we are. There's a transformation in consciousness that's taking place. And the important thing to note is that when a major transformation takes place, it introduces into the whole nervous system a level of shift and change that our nervous system is going to resist, right? I mean, its whole point is to, is to maintain stability, stay safe, right? Which is why whenever you try anything new in your life, there's a certain resistance to it. You know, you walk into a new environment, there's a certain anxiety about it. We want to beat ourselves up, but that's of course what it is. What it is is the system on heightened alert so that it can properly map the territory, know what to expect so we can feel safe again, right? That's its job. What is happening is on just such a massive scale because all of the institutions, everything we believed in, trusted in, have relied on for a sense of security are collapsing around us. There's a big a struggle now between trying to just make everything the way it was, which makes people more fundamentalist, more dictatorial, more dogmatic, and those that are, are getting to the point where they're willing to let go because something inside is just moving us in a, in a direction, and we don't know where we're going. And that is the way it is. <laughs> I, I love to point that out. You have no idea where you're going. The, butter, the caterpillar does not know about the butterfly. Right? And so there's a certain point at which we just begin to, 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 to relax into the, the, the reality of transformation. It is the nature of life. That's all it ever does. I mean, your body right now, in the time we've been talking, has literally gone through hundreds of millions of cells. They've died and new ones have been created. This is constantly transforming itself. That's how life works. It, it, it can't be stagnant. If it stagnates, it dies. And so that the same thing is happening, only now it's happening on the level of consciousness. We are be, beginning to wake up to who we actually are. We're beginning, this idea that I am the consciousness is now becoming solidified. I, I you know, I, 40 years ago, I would talk about this stuff <laughs> to people and I would literally have rocks thrown at me. This is before the idea of neuroplasticity. This is before uh, any of the self-help stuff. This is before the idea of, of self-improvement, the idea before you know, law of attraction where you could actually influence the, the things that are going. None of that was believed. This was the era of behaviorists, you know, the Skinner tube and, uh, and uh, just strict psycho psychoanalysis. Um, this was the, the era when your DNA was it. That's what you were. There's no getting around it. The idea of, of that, that genetic expression turns on and off and responds really subtly to the environment, completely unheard of as yet, right? And so now what I've had the wonderful pleasure of witnessing is how what I saw has begun to play itself out. It, and all of these things are being discovered. Suddenly, the, what we thought was absolutely rock steady and unchanging is totally flexible, totally malleable. And there's a sense of freedom that has arisen in so many people now that's like, you know, when the movie The, Can the Secret came out, which is, you know, I actually know most of the, the people who are teachers in The Secret, they're friends of mine. Um, and every one of them thinks, well, it was, it was, a, it was a good start. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good, you know, grade school uh, class. Um, it, it has somewhere to go. But what was beautiful about it is there was this mass shift that took place where suddenly people were not feeling so victimized by their lives, right? It, it was still new. They still didn't really know how to do it. There's been a lot of mistakes made around it. But suddenly it was like, oh, I can. I do have some power in making life better for myself, my family, for others, and, and the world. What a huge shift. I mean, it, 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 that didn't exist before that. 
it was, you know, maybe you could be a political activist. There was things you could do, but the idea that you're that that, that working uh, inwardly on yourself is actually going to have that level of impact on your life and on others was as as it was as of yet unknown. That's an extraordinary change, right? Uh, extraordinary. Um, and what makes it even more extraordinary is that that kind of information has been the the sacred information that only a few had throughout history, right? Nobody had when we were still hunter-gatherers, <laughs> right? And suddenly this information began to, this I, this way of seeing things, it goes back to the Upanishads and the Vedas of, uh, you, you see this bubbling up in the, in the Hindu tradition. Um, but now it's happened on a massive scale. You know, we could talk about attracting things in my life. We can talk about, you know, self-improvement. I can talk about, uh, you know, spirituality and meditation anywhere. You hear it everywhere, even in business uh, schools, right? I mean, I, a good friend of mine actually teaches meditation at the Wharton School of Business, if you can believe that, right? Which is like, you know, the, you know, one of the most buttoned-down places on the earth, right? They're all about the numbers and return. I mean, there's there's no heart there at all. And he's like teaching meditation to these guys now. Uh, I think part of it is that there's just more and more, there are, there are more and more scientific studies that, that, communicate the same types of things that spiritual traditions knew already knew about thousands of years ago and if anything it kind of decouples the the meditation techniques from the spiritual traditions yeah and is able to show on a very um i mean for a scientific level it's very yes. you know this is the one variable you are doing this one particular thing that now has engendered all these brain changes or all these health benefits and and with those studies or with that perspective i think more and more people are looking at it and um my question is what what do you hope if if you could have a vision board mm -hmm. <laughs> in the, the next five, 10 years, not even a hundred years from now, but the next five, 10 years, what would you like science to be able to show in order for another mass shift to happen? Um, well, I think what is going to happen is that the influence of love and acceptance is going to be demonstrated to be physiological that the impact of that is not going to be just emotionally feeling better, but that that as a physical reaction to it, that the body literally is being held all sickness, uh, illness, and uh, as well as emotional disturbances are being held by this absence of the heart energy, which is the essence of inner reconciliation, right? And the, that, that feeling of, of unconditional love. That when that begins to happen, values begin to shift, right? The problem with our world today is that our values are off. We value profit and money more than we value people. We have, we have, we have divested ourselves of a real, of the earth and our, and our human lives as the touchstone, as the reference point. And instead we've created this artificial standard of, of, uh, of wealth, which is completely a construct of the mind and has no energy or heart in it whatsoever. But we've become so absorbed in it, it seems like it's okay to destroy the earth in order to increase the profits for shareholders. Of course, the shareholders are actually a very few number of people. That, To that point, point of view, that looks like the right thing to do. You can't see the consequences of it. That's a shift that just reaches through everything because it's a value. When love becomes the central value the conditions in the world are simply going to vaporize because they can't it can't stand against it. it it just doesn't it just doesn't hold a candle to it and i think what's happening it's already happened science has already proven it there's already enough evidence it just hasn't infiltrated yet into the into the into the the world of of business that is basically controlling governments and the way the world works it, it we're just beginning to see it 
that if you know if they're if they're teaching meditation at Wharton School and it has and it has ROI attached to it, you know, it's kind of like uh, it, it's kind of like the angel sneaking in the back door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, the, there is ROI in love. Yeah, I'm sure there's studies that there is. That show I have another friend of mine, uh, Steve Farber. There's another nice. friend of mine mm-hmm. who's a, an executive consultant, and he does an entire presentation to major corporations on love in the workplace. So it is happening. I remember the Transformational Leadership Council, and that's what we—that's what they do. A lot of them are just dealing with businesses. I, I don't, but a lot of them do. And this is just what they're doing. I have another a couple of friends of mine who are who are uh, coaches for. Uh, uh, they're in Sweden, and and like like five or ten of their clients are members of Parliament, of the Swedish Parliament. <laughs> Just how this, the whole mind-body experience and taking care of yourself and nutrition and meditation and all of these things, they're members of parliament. So it's happening. We're just not, we're not seeing it because, because uh, the media is so, is so much controlled by the, by, the, by, the, by the old guard. So it's actually happening all over the place. We, just, we, have, to learn, we have to learn how to see it. Uh, and uh, and it's, it, I, just look. I just invite people, look. Watch what's happening. Don't just look at the surface where everything is falling apart, where it looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket. What's the underlying, what's the underlying influence that is causing this rift, that is causing this struggle? Right? Awakening is the underlying rift. Consciousness becoming aware of itself. The reality, love asserting itself, is making that which isn't loving unacceptable when it used to be acceptable. That's what's really happening. And ultimately, it'll be seen that that love is the answer if i may just be go really hippie on you <laughs> <laughs> and what every movie and and popular culture uh, vehicle says i mean i i even think of harry potter and ultimately yes. after you watch all of the movies and read all of the books it's it's all saying the same thing yeah and love is simple love is simply accepting things accepting yourself the way you are not the way you think you're supposed to be that's where the reconciliation takes place beautiful how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about your work Uh, i'm easy to find uh (laughs) gpwalsh.com obviously um if they want to learn about inner reconciliation innerreconciliation.com and there's even like a 20 minute video where I explore the whole thing and take people through exercises. And by the time that 20 minutes is up, you will have experienced it. You'll know in your body what it is. And uh, so I I make it as easy as possible. Beautiful. GP, it's been so wonderful to meet you in person and to hear about your work. And I'm hoping that our audience will take a lot of things away and look at what inner reconciliation can do for them. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much. And for you, take a look at what you need to reconcile in your life, the different perspectives that you may have created, and see how love can bring you ROI. And until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.